This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Well, when Scotty from marketing all those months ago said it's not a race, it's not a race, well, it has now become a race and it's a race that he made, this whole vaccination thing. I don't want to be too controversial, but I do find it quite amusing that a lot of Victorians seem to have made their way to Western Australia in time for the preliminary finals and the grand final. Good luck to everyone who's gone, but there do seem to be a slight double standards there, Corrie. The Melbourne supporters said, we are the real deal. In shock. I mean, yeah, you are. You absolutely are. So I think even I Melbourne supporters are a bit surprised, but Captain Max, what a hero, what a champion he is. Rewind to Daryl Summers being on your pin board at home. I thought I was bad enough having Donny Osmond. Oh, I had Daryl Summers. I had David Cassidy. I did have Mick Jagger as well, but yeah, no, I, I had eclectic tastes as a child. <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome everybody on this windy Melbourne day to episode 187 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I am with my friend on the last day of winter, Corrie Perkin. Hey Corrie. Oh, celebration. Winter's fun, Carol, when it arrives. We all get very excited about wearing coats and hats. But I tell you what, by the 30th or the 31st of August, you are so over it. I am so over it. (laughs) (laughs) I reckon we enjoy winter in May when we think it's winter, but in fact, it's still autumn. Anyway, the 31st of August marks my beautiful brother Will's 60th birthday today. So sadly, I'm not with him because he lives in Sydney and that celebration's been cancelled. But we're not going to talk about what we can't do today, Corrie. We're going to talk about what we can do. And what we need to do first is say thank you to our wonderful sponsors, Um, Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row, Melbourne's Red Energy, and thanks also to Prince Wine Store. We'll be opening up the cocktail cabinet later in our show and talking to Miles about another series of Father's Day recommendations. Corrie, have you got any apologies before we go on? Having made a terrible uh, error the week before, no, I think I think my slate is pretty clean, although I'm sure a family member or somebody will pop up. I just wanted to say also happy birthday to your brother, Will Wilson. Happy birthday, Williamo. He's one of the few we haven't um, managed to get on the show. He's refusing, like your brother, but we'll do our best. Corrie, you didn't need to apologise for mentioning Henry James in Still Life because my daughter Rose in Amsterdam pointed out that he is, in fact, mentioned in Still Life. He's just not a major part of the story like E.M. Forster. So there you go. That's right. Oh, well, you know, look, thanks, Rose, for throwing me a laugh line there, but mea culpa, I'm afraid. Caro, uh, I had a a lovely text from uh, a listener of ours, Mary, who said, just wanted to write to you and say I really enjoyed the Santam murders. Discovered it a few months ago on SBS. They've just released Series 7. And I have one episode to go, says Mary. Love Nora Lind character and her relationship with Thomas the detective. The murders are secondary and the plots are predictable. 
It's the concentration on the lives of the characters that make a good series for me. And she, and Mary adds, Nine Perfect Strangers was a crap book. I won't even bother with the series. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny thing, Corey, but, you know, our dear, beloved friend, well, more of a friend of yours, but I'm claiming him, Graham Blundell, who we've had on the show, he never yes. gives a dud review of anything. He celebrates television, and he certainly, in his Saturday column in The Australian, celebrates Australian television. Even he couldn't find much nice to say about Nine Perfect Strangers. And he said something, I think he was making a veiled dig at Nicole Kidman when he said, her face really doesn't move at all. Yes, well, Graham and I have talked off air about... Uh, Nicole's lack of facial expressions in recent years. Remember when he came on at Christmas time, Caro, for our summer special, and he told us how one of his first or one of her first film appearances was with him, and he had to, uh, in a scene, make love to her. That's right. That's right. In fact, we've had a few people. I always wondered about the height, Nicole. I wondered about the. I wondered about the height difference. Did I bring it up? Was I rude enough to bring it up and point that out? I think I probably was when we interviewed him. Well, we've also had uh, our friend Mark Downey on the show. And remember, she kissed Nicole Kidman. Anyway, it was that wonderful series. There were Set two in Tasmania. Two, um, yes. <laughs> so Nicole's been around a bit with people we know. But anyway, I gave up after two shows. I'm not going to watch the rest of it. I thought it was really silly. Corrie, um, Lockdown 6 continues. Um, Mel, Victoria. Oh, Kara, can I just say, can I just say before you go, thank you to Catherine, Sarah, uh, for your lovely raving about the recipe uh, that I featured last week from Sarah Pound at Two Pounds Food. You can actually find this recipe on the Instagram account at Two Pounds Food or on our show notes. And um, Catherine said she did the most incredible. Sarah did the most incredible food for our beautiful daughter and son-in-law's wedding just prior to COVID. And she agrees, Corey. Sarah and Two Pounds are brilliant in the world of catering. Yep, I've had a couple of texts from friends who have made that recipe, Caro, that Sarah, that we put on, um, that Sarah suggested last week. The, and the green really pasta, and I'm winner. still waiting for my little jar to be delivered. I know, and I'm still waiting for you to come and clean up my linen closet. But look, think, <laughs> we just might be waiting for a long time. Sorry, I interrupted you on lockdown talk, Caro. Let's talk about lockdown because there's nothing else to talk about. Well, we think that there might be some easing of restrictions later in the week, although I don't think it's going to be very much and it probably won't make a big difference to our lives, Corrie. But um, it is interesting, isn't it, how I think over the weekend when the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews lost patience with New South Wales, when Gladys Berejiklian said, we're going to let you go on picnics, even though um, we've got record numbers of cases and those cases have got worse since he said that. Jabs have been taken out of the arms of Victorians. Yeah, and also just the, the sort of the pursed lips, the dry delivery. He's a master of the dry delivery, Dan, when he said you can't ignore the facts New South Wales has received significant additional support. We don't begrudge them for that. Mm, no, we don't. I do. <laughs> It's become a war, hasn't it? It has. It has, and it's similar to last year, but um, the, the stakes have sort of changed. And it is all about vaccinations, which is probably a good thing for New South Wales because when you've got more than 1,200 cases a day, deaths every day, every day, and um, I noticed on Monday the first um, Indigenous death in New South Wales, for that Dubbo man in his 50s, um, 
and it is good for Gladys that she can talk about vaccinations because there's not a lot of other good news. Well, when Scotty from marketing all those months ago said it's not a race, it's not a race, well, it has now become a race and it's a race that he made, this whole vaccination thing. But as you say, not such a bad thing to be racing toward 80 or 90 percent vaccination. But I just hope it doesn't end up being a scrappy fight. I hope I hope it's done with uh, with a certain amount of equality and each state receives the same amount of vaccination according to its population. But just on the case Well, I don't want the, to be, um, Corey, I don't want to be controversial, but the other big issue really for a lot of Australians, for so many of us, is state borders being closed. And I don't want to be too controversial, but I do find it quite amusing that a lot of um, Victorians seem to have made their way to uh, Western Australia in time for the preliminary finals and the grand final when um, it is quite difficult for people to get to other states to be with um, sick or dying relatives or for other compelling personal reasons. And yet, if you're part of the AFL, AFL bandwagon, look, even Mark McGowan, McGowan seems, to want, seems to want you there in Perth. So um, good luck to everyone who's gone. But there do seem to be a slight double standards there, Corrie. Oh, I think there's double standards everywhere. And one one uh, slightly aligned to that way of thinking, Caro, is I'm in an absolute fury about the federal government's um, lack of concentration on vulnerable Indigenous communities. You mentioned the gentleman who had died in Dubbo. Um, it, it is becoming, it is breaking out in uh, in. Indigenous areas such as Dubbo, Walgett, Wilcannia in northern New South Wales, alarming breakouts and they deserve full attention and support. And I just wonder where the government has been in the past few months when Indigenous communities and health officials in these areas have been saying for months, we, our, our Indigenous, our First Nations population is very vulnerable. We need concentrated efforts here. Um, so, gosh, I hope help is on its way there. So on a more personal and selfish level, um, even my generally optimistic husband, Brendan, said the other day as we walked to the coffee shop with our masks and our little puppy, not so little puppy, oh, what is, what's today, Groundhog Day? And I said, no, come on, you know. But it is a bit like that at our house. I don't know about you. I'm... I'm obviously still incredibly busy with work while the footy continues and I, I escape via my garden and online bridge and the occasional lovely walk with you or another girlfriend or my husband. But apart from that, um, even my cooking seems to have gone off the boil a bit. I'll try and raz that up again this week. What about you? How are you getting through? Well, I think that the big difference to me uh, with the working last year and not working so hard on the road this year de delivering books, Carol, you mentioned cooking. Last year when I was working, and I totally get where you're at with if your cooking's gone off the boil, it is very hard to work at the moment. No matter what your work life is, it's another Zoom meeting, it's another failed internet connection, it's another, if you're working in retail and you're doing click and collect, you have to work so hard for a 30 or a $50 sale. Everybody's finishing their day pretty exhausted if they're working. So to turn around and cook the gorgeous meal is uh, is a bit of a big ask. But I'm finding this year that I am doing lots of cooking. And um, it was a very sunny, lovely weekend here in Melbourne, particularly on Saturday. So lots of walking um, every day. 
I found a really terrific book I've immersed myself in. I'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. We had the footy finals. The mornings are getting lighter. And at night time, last night I noticed it was still light at 6pm. So there's always that um, emotional turning point, isn't it, as we come out of winter. But yeah, it is. It is pretty. Uh, it, 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 there is a lot of there. There is a lot of uh, not so, a, a bit of anger amongst my gang and my family. But it's mostly just absolute desolation about where to next, what next. The kids, of course, are thinking about their kids and uh, daycare and when will play, playgrounds reopen. Um, there's just, there's just a lot of stress in the community, and it's um, it's pretty tough. It is. It's, no, I, I agree with you. It certainly is. Although, like last year, I can do with that. And I love all my various groups. But the, some of the WhatsApp groups, seriously, if I have to see one more negative, depressing message or video, I just you know, I find it a lot easier when we can stay a bit upbeat. But anyway, that's just me. Let's be upbeat and frivolous and talk about our clothing, Caro. I was uh, sorting through some clothes because I'm going to take a whole lot of old stuff to, uh, pre-loved I should say, to Anna at the op shop when she reopens. And I was thinking, gosh, there are these dresses just looking at me. When was the last time you wore a dress? Well, you work so it's different and you're on television. I have not worn a dress, I reckon, since about March. Every week, beautiful Kate Hastelow, who runs Channel 9 Wardrobe, sends me a message on the days I'm telling me what I'm wearing that night. I mean, that is, I can't tell you. It's such a lovely little routine <laughs> in this um, rather um, mundane life we're living at the moment. And um, I'm always quite excited when there's a dress because I get out my tights, my pantyhose, and I um, get out my boots. And I think, oh, I'm going to put a dress on. I mean, it is. it was an interesting little stat, wasn't it, that Marks and Spencer have halved their business suit range. And they, they reckon that even when people go back to work and are in the office, that there is going to be a lot more elasticised woolen pants <laughs> and even elasticised chinos and casual shirts. And that's what they're making. So when I think about it, I do make an effort to get out of my exercise gear when I am working at home. What about you? What's your go-to home outfit these days? Oh, yeah, definitely the comfy pants and and layers because the heating might be on or then it goes off to save money a fire might go on, but it's still a bit chilly, so I find the layers are pretty good. But what I cannot live without are my Ugg boots. And there was an Ugg boot sale uh, maybe about six or eight weeks ago, and I bought not one pair but two. And when they arrived, Pete was just incredulous that somebody could have two pairs of Ugg boots. And I said, oh, look, you know, one's black, so that's the night pair. As a bit of a joke. He looked aghast thinking I was being... Um, I was being truthful, but I have not. I have not got out of my Ugg boots, Carol. Just thinking about the dress situation, I don't reckon I've worn a pair of heels since about February or March. In fact, possibly even this year, or maybe I did when I had my significant birthday. Maybe I. Put you on definitely a pair of wore heels, heels then, to your birthday. We all frocked up for your birthday, but that was March. Wasn't that, was that lucky? Wasn't I? Wasn't I lucky to get that? I mean, there was Will Wilson and I, your brother, and half a dozen other people who were born in 1961, all talking about how we're going to celebrate our, our 60th this year. I think I'm probably the only one who's who's been lucky enough amongst our gang to actually share it with friends. And then we were limited yes. in numbers. 
we will, yes, my, my friend Katie, another friend, was limited in numbers, but she managed to get her birthday in, in between lockdowns over this sort of eight or nine-day period, and it was a very small celebration, but he was able to do something, which is more than I can say for my brother Will, but still we will do it one day. I reckon that um, this thing about clothing, it continues to be a major psychological lift when you can put something wonderful on. And when you can put something nice on, isn't it funny, even a, even your clean white T-shirt, when you throw out your sort of messy old crappy one, I don't know, it's just anything at the moment, anything to just give you oh, a bit it, of a lift. It's quite hysterical. And you're right and about... And to go down to the supermarket, to, Carol, to go to the supermarket, I'm, I'm pondering. I'm looking at the wardrobe going, mm, which, which sweater will I wear down to the supermarket? Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, three things. First of all, thanks for telling me because I need a new pair of Ugg boots. I didn't know there was a sale. Queenie has attacked mine and one of them is rather moth-eaten around the back now. She's been, she's a chewing dog. We have to be very careful with what we leave around. Mm, um, I've, no, I've noticed she's thing. a chewing dog, Cara. On our walk, I noticed that she was a chewing oh, dog. You know, Billy wasn't a chewer. Queenie really is. Anyway, we just have to keep shoes out of range. But um, where do you stand on the Ugg boot, you know, Past the front gate, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know our friend Johnny Clark, he won't allow them outside the house. No, totally. I, I disagree. You know what, what's, what flipped me over? I think I've said this on the podcast before about three or four years ago. Uh, stressing, not that I see any similarity between myself and Elle McPherson, except we're Australian. But there was a photo of <laughs> Elle McPherson and it may have been Aspen. It may have been New York winter. I can't recall the backdrop, backdrop but she had on a pair of cream tight sort of woolen woolen pants or woolen leggings and she had on a pair of brown or black Ugg boots dark Ugg boots and a big oversized sweater and I looked I took one look at it and I just thought how cool is that that is that kind of older snow bunny uh with style I want to be that girl so I've, I, I wore them in the shop because they were so comfortable on a concrete floor they kept my feet warm I wear them at home uh, I've now been told by Mrs Doubtfire they have to stay outside the house. They're not allowed to come in because they are considered a shoe, not a slipper. But I think that, uh, uh, Johnny, look, uh, just liberate yourself. Go outside. Go outside the front gate with those Ugg boots on. You'll feel a million dollars. <laughs> now, uh, before we before we move on to Crush of the Week, Corrie, and before we open the cocktail cabinet, um, footy is over in a home and away sense. But we're rocketing along with the finals. Um, the grand final will be played in Western Australia unless there's a disaster over in that state with COVID. No MCG again this year. The tumbleweeds are rolling around Jollymont and East Melbourne. It's very sad. Um, but it looks like Melbourne. It really looks like Melbourne are the, are the goods, doesn't it? Oh, it was a great game. They were, they were smashingly good. It was a really good game. It was very tough. And hard fought. I also thought Port Adelaide looked great on the weekend. They looked super strong. But Melbourne, uh, Melbourne is the real deal. And I don't know why people, <laughs> I don't know why, why even Melbourne supporters are a bit phased and shocked that, you know, some, one of them said to me the other morning as we were uh, at the coffee place, both in the queue at the same time, the Melbourne supporter said, 
we are the real deal. Like in shock. I mean, yeah, you are. You absolutely are. So I think even I Melbourne supporters are a bit surprised. But really, they're, they're, they're Captain Max. What a hero! What a champion he is! And uh, they just seem like such a uh, such a well well-oiled machine and they're very focused and it's exciting to see them doing so well. Gosh, I'd love to see them hold up the Premiership Cup, although it would be just dreadful if it wasn't at the MCG. Caro, what is the contingency plan, do you know, if the uh, WA Premier says, nah, we've got some cases, we're locking down, no teams coming, no grand final here? Oh, well, there's always Queensland, there's always the Gabba. Queensland had no have had no cases for a couple of days now. Well, Brisbane anyway. So they're they're looking really good in a COVID sense, and it's been there before. And obviously, um, South Australia, the Adelaide Oval is still a, a distinct possibility. The Premier of South Australia is a big Port Adelaide man. In fact, um, he's the brother-in-law of the Port Adelaide CEO. So I think Port Adelaide, if they made the grand final, would be absolutely thrilled if it could be at the Adelaide Oval. But, of course, they can't promise a capacity crowd, which is what the AFL wants, and there'll be a lot more money coming if it is in Western Australia. It will be funny for all those AFL um, journalists and um, others who've gone over, commentators who've gone over and who were quarantining for two weeks in Perth if they, if they did it for nothing. But I wouldn't wish um, anything bad on them. I think that would be most unfortunate. And I do think it'll be a great spectacle at Optus Stadium. Meanwhile, the Carlton Football Club lurches from crisis to crisis. They've sacked the coach. The CEO is not safe. The head of football is not safe. You know, I work with Matthew Lloyd a few times a week on footy classified and sometimes at 3AW. And um, he doesn't talk about it much, but it must be so difficult working at a football club where everyone's looking at you and you've got this incredibly so-called professional new president who's come from an enormous success in the business world in Luke Sayers. And yet the way they're treating people is just absolutely appalling. They're running it, as I've said recently, Corey, like an 80s football club. So when we're not talking about finals... And um, Toby Green, and as we speak, we don't know how many weeks he's going to be suspended for, but they should throw the book at him for what he did with Matt Stevick on the weekend, the umpire. Um, we're talking about Carlton and um, and your football club, which I noticed, um, um, although Melbourne a long time ago was your football club, so I'm sure you'll have a soft spot for them and you'll be thinking of your dad. But Sam Mitchell, the new coach, has said in a sort of um, very high-end broadcast to members the other day, that they're going to be going back to um, not playing bruise-free footy. They're going to be a much tougher outfit next year. So mm. that was interesting. Yeah, well, uh, look, I don't have a problem with Sam coming out and putting his stamp on the team uh, before the official season is over. It would have been nice to give Clarko a bit of a week or two's breather between... Uh, but anyway, look, that's OK. Uh, I think the biggest problem there is the president, but you and I have lamented that before. Caro, just before we go to the cocktail cabinet, I did want to ask you about the Bombers because you and I have a number of Bombers in our lives and um, they bowed out of the finals. Uh, I, I thought... In a reason, they finished the season in a reasonably distinguished way. But as I was saying to the bomber who was crying on the sofa beside me on Sunday afternoon, you've got a lot to look forward to. Tell me about the bombers just quickly. 
Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'm sure he wasn't crying on the sofa. I'm sure oh, he was, a bit close to he it, was just yeah. a bit upset. Oh, I'm, I'm very bullish about Essendon. I think they've been so much better. You know, the, the coaching handover was a bit of a disaster last year. It didn't really work having two coaches. Ben Rutten's put his stamp on the team. They're short a couple of players. They do need a big forward. You know, having lost Joe Danaher, Peter Wright probably isn't going to cut the mustard long term. Um, and I, I'm think that there are several players the Bombers are looking at. And um, again, as Matthew Lloyd continues to say, because he kept saying during the year it would be it's better they don't make the finals because in the past they've made finals and every time they have, since the last time they won a final, which I think was in 2004, um, they tend to get ahead of themselves and um, and think that they're, they're right up there and not sort of go the hard yards. I don't think that'll happen this year. Um, I think that um, it was interesting. A couple of people are starting to talk about even Ben King, the Gold Coast big forward, who everyone thinks will end up at St Kilda where his twin brother is. But Essendon might even have a look at him. I think Essendon are on the way up. And um, I, I, I hope Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody gets over his issues. And um, he's been told to go on a bit of a fitness regime. It would have been great to see him in the finals, but we didn't. No, I'm bullish about the Bombers. And I'll say one more thing about your actual football club, Hawthorne. The fact that they're quibbling with Alistair Clarkson over $60,000 is an utter disgrace. Oh, it is When they agree to pay him out. It is just crazy. Anyway, on that note, Corrie, we need a drink. Okay, as I said, it's time to open the cocktail cabinet with Miles Thompson. The cocktail cabinet is brought to us by Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And you can visit Prince Wine Store at princewinestore.com.au. Miles, as Father's Day heads, as we head towards Father's Day, you've got part two with some wonderful gift ideas in the wine department. Absolutely. So um, I chose one of my favourite um, Shiraz producers from the Barossa Valley. Um, fantastic wine uh, called Michael Hall, um, which is an, also the name of the winemaker. Um, and it's the uh, Flaxman's Eden Valley Shiraz. So it's our first single vineyard. And it's at Eden Valley. Eden Valley is in the Barossa, but it's a little bit higher up. So has all that lovely Barossa fruit, that lovely sweet black blackberry, blackcurrant fruit and that lovely sort of sweet spice. And it also has a really kind of lovely blue fruits and almost violet kind of lifted element to it because it has some, uh, that cooler sort of Eden Valley fruit tends to give it this lovely, almost like a cool fruit sort of aspect to it. Um, Really fantastic, 2017. So it's got a little bit of age on it. So it's nice and soft. Um, and that's uh, $51. That sounds just gorgeous, like so full of fruit and everything. Do you reckon if you had to say best Shiraz growing areas in Australia, would you say the Barossa was one of them? Look, I mean, stylistically, you know, people people probably know Barossa very, very well. It depends what you like to drink. Uh, there's some really fantastic, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic and there's some real diversity of style. There's parts of the Franklin River region, uh, in WA is putting out some fantastic Shiraz. In Canberra is probably the other region that's putting out some really phenomenal Shiraz as well. So, albeit in, in a different sort of, I guess, Rhone-inspired 
style, sort of French kind of Shiraz from those cooler climates. Sounds oh, that sounds idea. absolutely delicious. And of course, if you um, put the promo code M E S, you will get the um, don't you the messenger discount. Miles, absolutely. that's a fabulous recommendation. Anything else? Yeah, look, I picked a couple of other things. So, so depending on your budget, I've got a few options. I've got um, uh, Barbera from a producer called Ritzy. Um, now, they're a Barbaresco producer in Italy, and Barbera is um, uh, one of the other grapes that you see from that Piedmont region. Tends to have lovely sort of sweet sort of cherry fruit, and the nice thing about Bar- Barbera is it's very low tannin, so it has a really lovely soft plush element to it. Now, Ritzy is a very traditional producer, and they produce a slightly more savoury style Barbera, so you get that lovely sort of um, tangy sort of red cherry fruit and that kind of bit of that sweet lifted spice and then a really lovely soft mid-weight sort of styled wine. Really fantastic. And that's $38, so that's a little a little cheaper. Wonderful recommendation. Fab- fabulous. And uh, you have a third recommendation too. I, I do. So for $22, I have a fantastic Cote de Rhone um, from a producer called Riv Droit. Riv Goish, I'm sorry if I've massacred that, uh, which means uh, <laughs> left, left bank, right bank um, is the translation. And look, it's just really beautiful, juicy, soft, Grenache-based um, Rhone blend, so a little bit of Shiraz, a little Mouvet and some other bits, but really, really lovely sort of red fruits and spice and, and a bit of that kind of white pepper that you get with Grenache in a really sort of juicy, easy drinking style. And that's only 22, so that's fantastic value as well. What would you um, be drinking that with? Cote de Rhone. It's pretty, it's pretty versatile. It's a kind of medium-bodied wine. It's the perfect sort of like pizza pasta kind of wine is what I would call it. Whatever your sort of, whatever your sort of nice, nice, easy meal, uh, it's perfect. Anything sort of from the Mediterranean, you know, the, the sort of chick, chicken cacciatore or those, those types of things would just be perfect with it. It's just pretty versatile. Well, Corey, that's a pretty good range of um, reds from um, the $50 range the 30 high 30s to 22 $23. Great yeah. uh, recommendations. And I think, Potties, if you're thinking of buying a, a bottle for Dad, don't forget you can have it home delivered to him if he's if he's in the Melbourne or indeed the Sydney area. Um, or you can have it delivered anywhere if you're paying post, prepared to pay postage for it. But, Miles, I think, that's a, I think sending Dad a nice bottle of wine on Father's Day is a really lovely, thoughtful gift. And um, pretty good to drink. Pretty good to drink as well. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully he cracks it with you. You know. But. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> at some stage. <laughs> hey, Miles, I noticed going through your website the other day because mm-hmm. Corey is putting together an order for us at some stage. That um, you had some really interesting sparkling wines and champagnes as well. And of course, for Father's Day. Um, you could buy, you could um, lash out and buy a nice bottle of champagne, of which um, there are several um, varieties of Prince Wine Store. Yeah, we've always had a really sort of strong showing of champagne and a really strong following as well. So yeah, there is a there is a ton of really good options. There's a lot of great stuff coming into the country. There's also a lot of good sort of local options as well. So we're big fans of some of the particularly Yarra Valley and Tassie sparklings as well. So. I think I've talked about a few here before, but yeah, absolutely. T- tons, tons of you options, have. lots of choices. You have, and, and of course, if you want to check out our show notes from last week, Miles also had um, some lovely whiskey as well. So, um, gee, there's um, a huge range to uh, choose from. 
Yeah, lots, lots, lots of stuff. And you know, you don't have to stick to any of those. We have everything else. Lots of spirits, lots of red wine, white wine. I kind of did reds because it's winter, but tons of great white wine, fantastic Chardonnay. So, yeah, anything you could want, really. Well, Miles, um, I'm um, going to crack into, um, in my next order, your, um, I think it's pronounced Artemi Vermouth, which um, Vermouth seems to be the new go-to aperitif or pre-dinner drink or cocktail just with some ice. And uh, I thought that one looked absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it looked really awesome. We're really sort of the, the gin explosion has seemed to turn into the vermouth explosion recently. Um, and certainly when the warmer weather comes around, it's, uh, it's, I love a bit of vermouth. I always have several vermouths at home in the fridge, yeah, on ice. Perfect. You can't God, beat it. I, I tell you what, Miles, your cocktail cabinet at home sounds like a ripper. <laughs> it has it has a select few things. <laughs> oh, you're always well, this, sort of this yeah, just another a, little treasure is coming out of your mouth. It's great. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. This Artemi is a white vermouth, and white Negroni seems to be the new um, drink of the hours. So um, I thought that one would be a good one to try. Miles, they're great yeah, recommendations. Absolutely. So three reds, and they will be in our show notes. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. That is the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit Prince Wine Store, as Corrie and I did over the weekend, .com.au, and tell them that Corrie and Caro sent you. Now, Corrie, for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, it's crush of the week, and you have a crush. I do, Caro. I have a crush which follows the... Uh, going to air on Monday night, the second part of the Four Corners look at Fox News. Fantastic reporting by Sarah Ferguson. And my crush is the ABC and its Four Corners team. And also by extension, can I say, can I add into this crush, the ABC chair, Ita Buttros and the managing director, David Anderson. They have all been hit by the Murdoch media in the last few days. I have, I can't recall the last time I have seen such a highly organised, or maybe it was just a fluke with all the news editors and editors uh, of Murdoch Media in Australia thinking the same way. But there was a barrage, Caro, a barrage of anti-ABC opinion pieces that hit the airwaves and hit the newspapers, such as The Australian, The Telly in Sydney, and of course The Herald Sun. Oh, Melbourne. my God, Corrie, it continued on Tuesday. It was rabid, rabid. So for those who haven't caught up with the Four Corners two-part series on Fox News, they looked at Fox News and its influence on the rise of Donald Trump and then its responses to the 2020 election result and did it play any kind of role in uh, calling to arms or certainly calling to protest the people who ended up uh, storming the Capitol building on January the 6th earlier this year. And so Fox News General Counsel in New York has threatened legal action against the ABC. Uh, of course, Sarah Ferguson being the award-winning brilliant journalist she is, of course, during her reports, she consistently went to Fox News and asked for their view. Uh, could they put forward a talking head? They had absolutely every opportunity to speak and they didn't. So I'd, I just think um, Sarah Ferguson and Ita and the gang are not getting into the weeds over these legal threats, nor all of the 
barrage of abuse that's coming their way. Sarah Ferguson said the other day, we're not in fear of anything. There are fewer more important stories to look at in America right now. I rest very comfortably knowing that this is very important to attack Four Corners and the brave editorial stance of executive producer Sally Neighbour just seems to be way off the mark. So I hope it kind of stops there. Uh, I'm not sure legally how far Fox will go or whether they're just um, thumping their chest. But they are my heroes, Caro. That, that sort of little collective mob within the ABC, I think they're doing a terrific job and keep bringing us great stories, guys. It was a eye-opening um, two-parter. I haven't seen the second part yet. Busy. I was busy doing um, my own work on Monday night. Do have a look. you find one. it really interesting. Yeah, I will. And well, the first BSF. One absolutely, absolutely riveting. Now, time for BSF, book, screen, and food. And uh, thank you, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and of course to Prince Wine Store as well. But, um, Caro, we were going to discuss books generally, weren't we? Uh, coming out of a conversation we had when we were walking the other day about comfort reading during lockdown. What exactly is your definition of a comfort read? Books are my sort of go to comfort item generally. And I suppose a comfort read is, um, I'll quote my cousin Georgie, who <laughs> used to always say, you know, on a rainy um, Sunday Sunday when there wasn't much on, I think I'll just go home and read ballet shoes. And, you know, that, that sort of became a bit of a family saying, that wonderful Noel Stretfield novel, that, that, that to me is my definition of comfort reading. I always think of ballet shoes because it's what, it's like an, well, it's like an old pair of gumboots, uh, gumboots, Ugg boots. It's like putting on those warm, if you have a warm pair of cashmere tracky pants or whatever. It just, you know you're going to enjoy it. You know the characters aren't going to let you down. Um, I, I guess, you know, my favourite one was always I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. That to me is a comfort read, although as I get older, and I suppose I get this from my mother, a really good detective story bizarrely, is my other go-to comfort reading. What about you? Well, you write about detective stories, not for me, because I'm not a big crime girl, but I certainly know in lockdown when we had the shop last year, uh, they were by far, it was by far and above the most popular genre. And nothing too gory, a lot of people were saying. Uh, so it is that cosy <laughs> crime. It is a cosy crime, often with eccentric characters often a group rather than one person trying to solve the mystery. So they go really well. Carol, I have a few. Uh, my first one, I would say, because it's, it's just gorgeous and it's not very long, so nobody need feel intimidated by the size, is Uncommon Reader by British playwright and author Alan Bennett. I love The Uncommon Reader, the story about the Great queen book. who discovers reading quite late in her reign and becomes an obsessive reader. Anything by Mary Wesley, while we're on Brit all things Britain, British. I loved the chamomile lawn set in the Rosalind Peninsula where you and I walked a couple of years ago in Cornwall. Uh, it was actually turned into a television series too, I seem to remember, but the chamomile lawn is It wonderful. was. It was a great TV series. And, of course, a lot of it set in London during the war. I've reread that. I reread that during COVID last year, funnily enough. It's a great book. I love all her books. I loved Harnessing Peacocks. I loved A Sensible Life, A Dubious Legacy. The interesting thing about Mary Wesley is that she was born at the start of the 20th century. She died in, I think, about 2001 or 2002. 
Um, but she didn't publish her first novel until she was 71. So I started reading her when the first novel came out in 1983 and then kind of followed her through my 20s each time she had a new novel. And she was this older woman. She's so clever. I love the Cazalet series, of course, don't you? Yes. Always got oh, to them. Yeah. And when that last one, oh, I was so sad, sad when the last one finished. And a couple of movies I'd throw in there, Madeline St. John, the woman in woman in black and the essence of the thing and Shirley Hazard, which I always say in the bookshop is my favorite love story of all is the transit of Venus. I, lo- I love that book. Um, I, I think um, if, and, and we, we do tend, well, Shirley Hazard, of course, is Australian, although she spent most of her life in Italy and, and the U S um, being um, British again, I have to say, um, going to British authors again, Barbara Trapedo. Remember our friend Mindy put us yeah. on to her? Yes, yes. Um, the Travelling um, Horn Player and the brother of the more famous Jack are two of my absolute favourites. Um, Temples of Delight is really good. Noah's Ark, nothing she has written, even her not-so-good books are um are absolutely brilliant. And if I'm going detectives, I tend to go older and back into the 20s and 30s, 40s, Marjorie Allingham and Dorothy Sayers are just too, I mean, and they're not gory. They're just brilliantly constructed books. And um, we probably should give um, the Yanks a mention too, Corrie. And I suppose one of my my other favourite novel, apart from um, The Transit of Venus, because it is one of my favourites, is Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner and all of his books. Mm. I love Wallace Stegner. Mm, you can really immerse yourselves. And, Cara, of course, we left out the one you and I love involving the Mortmain family, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. I mentioned, I mentioned Dodie at the beginning of this conversation, Oh, did you? Oh, Corrie. I'm sorry. Oh, would it, had I drifted off? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. That is absolutely fine. You're forgiven. No, um, it's just, um, yeah, anyway, it's just an absolutely wonderful thing to have books in our lives. And, um, you know, a really good one, like Still Life, which completely captured us this year. You do feel as though you've lost a good friend when you finish it, don't you? It's pretty devastating. But um, onward, and I have a cracker of a book to discuss with you next week, so I'm looking forward to that. Now on to screen, Caro, and what have you been watching? Well, it's something we haven't discussed, Corrie, but um, I had a crack at it the other night and I'm really en- I'm really enjoying it. It's not a thriller. It's not British. <laughs> it's not from the BBC. It's called The Chair and it's a new series on Netflix starring Sandra Oh, who, of course, um, is famous from, you know, most recently Killing Eve. She's become a massive star in her own right, really, since uh, what was the medical series she was oh, on? Oh, um... um uh, Grey's Anatomy, thank you very much. And Grey's Anatomy, I, well and done. This is, this is an um, academic one. Anyway, an ac- she, yeah. this is a great story about college life in America. Some of the reviews have said it's slightly unrealistic, even pre-COVID, that um, not that many people go to college anymore and the online learning is um, a lot more prevalent and you wouldn't have all these crusty old characters sitting around and having meetings. I'm not sure whether it's true or not, but it's set in an English department of a major university. She has just been appointed the first woman chair of the English department. I reckon this is right up your alley, Corrie. Hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen this advertised. the first woman, but she's, sorry? I, I was going to say, I've seen this advertised on uh, 
it's Netflix, isn't it? Because I think I'm on the Net- yep. Netflix Instagram and I've watched a short of it. Yeah, it looks really good. Well, it's sort of a comedy drama. And um, he is the chair, as I said, woman of colour. He's got an absolutely, well, a very problematic personal life because of her daughter, who is sli- her little daughter, who is slightly troubled. And there's a backstory there. Um, there's a sort of a love interest with um, a very dishevelled English professor whose personal life is also a mess, who is recently widowed. Um, the older characters are hysterical. She, the first episode, first couple of episodes surround her attempt to appoint um, this guest lecturer and promote um, someone into the department. And she chooses this brilliant young woman who happens to be black. And there's a huge pushback there. So there's a bit of me too. There's a bit of romance. There's a bit of, you know, wintry scenes outside this beautiful old university and in lecture theatres. Um, some of the older characters, the boozy older English, one of the older English professors, this w- woman is absolutely brilliant. But Sandra O oh is great and I would recommend The Chair as um, a really good series. But we're going to move now while we're... T- and it, it, it is a bit of a comfort show, I've got to say, um, but um, not, not as comfortable as um, the, the other one that we were going to look at, which we might do next week. Anna from the Op Shop recommended was Traitors, which... Um, was something that seems to have slipped by us, a BBC one that um, is a six-part series involving sort of post-war England, Russia and America. So, um, And where do we find that one, Caro? We were talking about it the other day. Where do I find Traitors? Well, it's either... Um, it's either on ABC iView or Netflix, but I can't okay. remember. Someone will tell us. Now, Corrie, comfort cooking. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I will, Caro. I was just thinking about this the other day how I, I know I said I've, I've been cooking a lot. A lot uh, most There have been a few new recipes, but uh, it, it's mostly going to the default position of, of food that we uh, makes us feel good, particularly in winter, so lots of soups and stuff. But... I was thinking about the two that have most commonly come up in the last few weeks and indeed last year. And one is risotto and the other is soup. And these are two really inexpensive, um, great vegetarian options uh, for all of us who are at home who want to clear out whatever's in the fridge. You can turn it into a mix for your risotto as I did with all the mushrooms the other day that were starting to just go, you know how they go a little bit curly when they've been been with you for a bit too long? And I thought, yeah. right, right, you Manky, mushrooms. Manky, curly, yeah. whatever. Yeah, right, you mushrooms. Well, before they turn into algae at the bottom of your veggie, veggie drawer. But um, I thought, right, mushrooms, it's time. With a bit of, with, and speaking of time, with a bit of time in it and a bit of white wine and so on, it just made a really great sauce for the risotto as does pea and pancetta, one of my all-time favourites. But the go-to this uh, this particular weekend was, okay, everything that's in, in the veggie drawers, pull them out of the fridge and let's do a big cook-up. And I made one of those green soups. I will give, well, can I give Miss Jane the show notes on a recipe that I've made up? Possibly. But just fry up some garlic, chilli, ginger, leek, onion if you want. Add some chicken stock. I didn't have any... Um, homemade chicken stock but look I got the Maggie beer one and that's fantastic 
And then you just add into the pot anything that's really there that needs to be used. Potatoes. I had a couple of broccolis that were had seen better days. I had half a cauliflower, a couple of zucchinis. I also had some spinach. And I went out and stripped the herb garden bare of the last of the parsley. And then added nutmeg and a bit of salt and put it all in the whizzer. And then back in the pot, add a bit of yogurt if you want to. And I served it up with Parmigiano Reggiano on the top and a few crispy bacon bits, a sprinkle of fresh herbs, crusty bread, and Bob's your uncle, Caro. Voila. Well, it, I must say it's very indulgent to be using Maggie beer chicken stock when you've got probably got the old Marcel in the cupboard, don't you? No. I, I, look, I, 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 um, I love Maggie beer's chicken stock. I, I will... If I see packets of it, which it, not everybody stocks it, but I will, uh, I will buy up. I'm, I'm a real fan of it. But yes, look, you could, you could do it. You could add water. It doesn't really matter. It's such a beautiful dish. But, but the green, the comfort of the green, and knowing that you are eating something that's so healthy for you, and particularly in winter to keep coughs and colds, um, if they now occur with, without a COVID scare. But garlic and chilli and ginger, that sort of thing, it's a really beautiful dish. What about you? What's your comfort go-to food? It sounds delicious. Oh, it will. It would be my um, dying meal request, and that's roast chicken. I just love roast chicken. What? The roast chicken and again makes, it, makes an appearance on the podcast. Well, no, only because the only reason I bring it up this week is that um, remember a few weeks ago we did Clementine's Café de Paris Butter? Yes. And um, and you make a log of it and you wrap it up in baking paper, tie a bit of string at each end or rubber band. And, um, well, it's meant to be served on a piece of minute steak or a bit of I fillet. Absolutely delicious. Um, of course, we put it in the freezer. We've used it um, on um, a piece of baked salmon. Absolutely delicious. And what I did with my roast chicken on the weekend was that I made a beautiful stuffing using the Cafe de Paris butter. So I got it out of the fridge, cut off a chunk of it, made my stuffing with um, sourdough breadcrumbs, a few roasted pine nuts, lots of dried apricots, chopped up roasted pecans, heaps of fresh um, oregano and parsley from the garden. And then I just um, mixed through it. That beautiful Cafe de Paris butter. Oh, my God, Corrie, it was so beautiful. How Inside fantastic. the roast chicken. And we featured the that recipe for the Cafe de Paris butter three episodes ago, I think, from memory. So people can find that on our show notes, I'm sure. So um, there we go. Roast chicken with the old Cafe de Paris butter. Corrie's delicious green soup and risotto. That was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And remember, if it's time for you to call Red Energy, the number is 131806. Now, Caro, you are grumpy. I am, Corrie, and um, I'm sort of stealing your idea because we talked about this the other day, but it's happened again. And I asked the makeup girls from Channel 9 why, and they agree this is the reason. I discovered for the first time in many years a pimple on my face and according to the channel nine girls this is because we are wearing masks it is the most horrible thing that has come back to haunt me after i mean something i thought i had seen the end of 
I told you so. I told you it was the masks. The other day when you and I walked, I apologised. Do you remember? Because I said, I'm so sorry, but last night I squeezed this pimple on my chin. <laughs> I haven't had a pimple Which I didn't eons. do, by the way. Well, I did. I got sick of it. And, you know, you're bored as well. Like, really dumb thing to be doing, playing with your skin during lockdown. Everybody, don't do that. But, um, Caro, I knew it was the mask. I'm so glad to hear the Channel 9 girls are confirming that. Well, maybe they're just trying to make me feel better, but they certainly have only appeared in places where I never used to get pimples and only in places I've had two now where the masks actually cover. So that is actually making me, on top of everything else, extremely grumpy. Six quick questions now, Corrie, for Red Energy. Should Siran Siran, the man who assassinated Robert Kennedy, receive parole? I don't think so, Caro. And six of the eight children of Robert Kennedy have agreed. Look, he's been up 15 times or something um, since committing the crime 50 years ago. Um, and uh, there must be a reason why he keeps being knocked back. So I would just defer to those, uh, those previous hearings, really. But what, look, what do I know? I'm not there. Um, but isn't it interesting, Caro, how, how this is in our lifetime, I remember so clearly Robert Kennedy being assassinated. Do you? No, it's funny. You know, it's a really funny thing. I don't. I do remember. Um, I, my parents tell me that when John Kennedy was assassinated, I was about three or four, and um, I started crying because my father said to me that um, the um, man who has a daughter called Caroline has been murdered. And I don't know, I'm just very weird that I did start crying. But anyway, um, yeah, look, um, I don't remember that, but it seems extraordinary that um, he would be released, really. I, I can't imagine why that would even be, yeah, why it would um, be something that would be being considered. And um, it does take you back and um, quite extraordinary too to look at just, what terrible fate has befallen that Kennedy family, in particular Robert Kennedy's family, mm. since then. And um, sort of really sad that, you know, when you look at documentaries about the Kennedys, that he didn't really want to continue that career in politics, but that his father sort of pushed him into it. Mm. That father has a lot. That that father, old, old man Joe Kennedy, has a lot to answer for. Caro, speaking of older men, although we do love this one, Ed Asner died this week. Bless him. Always to be remembered for his role as Lou Grant in the Mary Tyler Moore show and then the show that was called the Lou Grant show, I think, from memory. It made me wonder, what is your favourite film or TV newsroom boss or crusty old editor character? Well, it's fascinating, isn't it, Ed Asner, because he... Mary Tyler Moore show was a comedy and yet they, the spin-off show, Lou Grant, which and there were so many spin-offs from that show, but... Um, it, w it was a drama. So it was sort of really interesting that, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, anyway, extraordinary, extraordinary, really. So do you, but do you my, have a favourite character? Oh, definitely Cary Grant playing Walter Burns in His Girl Friday, which was um, one version of that uh, wonderful comedy, The Front Page, was the um, later on, which starred Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. So, in um, His Girl Friday, 1940, Rosalind Russell plays the journo. So mm, it's a I woman journo. And it's it's um, Jack Lemmon in the later film. But um, both both the editor characters, both Cary Grant and Walter Matthau, absolutely 
brilliant. I mean, there's so, been so many great sort of crusty old editors. I think I'd probably have to, though, give it to Kerry Grant. I just thought um, he was absolutely brilliant. And I also go back to that movie, The Paper, which was also, I mean, a, a great film about newspapers. And Robert Duvall was brilliant as the editor who said people think when you get old you become a great character, but, you know, usually you're just the same old bastard you always were. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to jump in on your question, but I just would add in there, I loved Jason Robards playing Ben Bradley in All the President's Men. I oh, just have absolutely. To say, I great, that was really great. Great recommendation. Hey, um, Corrie, hey, hey, it's Saturday Revival. Good idea, bad idea? Good idea, Caro. What have we got to lose? Uh, I mean, this, it's, it's, it'll be, it'll be uh, 50 years, again, this is another thing that's ageing us, 50 years since the premiere, the show premiered on Saturday morning on Oct- in October 1971. I reckon I was there at that very first show. I watched it every Saturday morning and then as a young adult and an older adult with babies flipped over to Hey Hat Saturday night because often with babies you were home on a Saturday I loved all that. I loved John Blackman's voiceover. I loved Ernie Carroll as Ozzy Ostridge, Jackie McDonald, and our friend Sal used to make her beautiful outfits, Red and Wilbur. I mean, what's not to love? And if they all come back together or we can get most of them back together, Daryl's now 70. It'd be a bit of fun, wouldn't it? What else have we got to look forward to in lockdown? I had, well, we've got a lot to look forward to. Now, come on, I had, I, I used to love Daryl when I was young. I had his poster up on my um, pin board at home. <laughs> Rewind to Daryl Summers being on your pin board at home. I thought I was bad enough having Donny Osmond. Oh, I had Daryl Summers. I had David Cassidy. I did have Mick Jagger as well, but, yeah, no, I, I had eclectic tastes as a child. <laughs> I love the fact you had Mick Jagger in as a... A kind of, you know, look, I was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was sometimes cool, but I usually wasn't. And I, I adored David Cassidy. I still have pictures, of, a mental picture of you and Anna on the tram in your Bay City Rollers uh, outfits. Oh, which, which is completely not true. But anyway, what's your question? <laughs> <laughs> My question, let's change the subject. What's the most annoying thing about your new puppy, Queenie? Oh, no, surely there's nothing annoying. Oh, well, she thinks that gardening is a game and I love having her in the garden with me and she's my constant companion, something my children were many, many years ago but no longer. But she thinks it's a game, so she bites the heads off geraniums. When I start digging a hole to plant something, she keeps digging and then covers herself in dirt. When I start watering plants, she tries to eat the hose. It is just so annoying. I'm trying to get her to be my companion, but... And to try and explain that gardening is a fun thing to do, but at Queenie, it's not a game. Anyway, it's going to be a challenge, but I guess that's a cross I'm going to have to bear. Now, Corrie, which new Instagram account did you follow this week? Caro, I'm very excited about this, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. But if you go onto an Instagram account called ABBA Voyage, or indeed ABBA itself, the official ABBA beautiful, wonderful group of four Swedish singers and we love them. Um, 
there's something happening in a couple of days. At the time we record this, it says the 2nd of September, there's going to be a thing called ABBA Voyage. And I gather that it's going to be a reunion. I'm so excited. So I'm following these two Instagram accounts almost every hour, just checking to see if there's an update. And will I hear my favourite song, Waterloo? What a great song that was. Gee, that was fantastic. Carol, imagine a reunion. Wouldn't that be a world beater of an event? Well, there's some speculation as whether it's going to be rejigged sort of old films done to modern on videos. It's going to be really interesting. There's certainly some new songs that are going to be released. So, yeah, uh, fascinating. Now, speaking of ABBA, were you an Agnetha or an Anna Frieda girl? And also, what was your favourite song? When I was younger, Anna Frieda, but I've come around to Agnita as I've got older. I've just realised how incredible, how incredibly beautiful she was, her beautiful voice. That winner takes it all is just the saddest, most poignant song. Um, but And this is apologies to Waterloo and Fernando and take a chance on me. But, Corrie, it has to be this one, the greatest pop song or one of the greatest pop songs ever written, in my view, Dancing Queen. Dancing around our home studios with our little cat suits on. That song has not lost a thing in the annals of time. And isn't it amazing how many film hits have been really based on Abba's songs? Obviously, the Mamma Mia 1 and 2, which were fantastic films, especially the first one. And um, then, of course, Muriel's Wedding. I mean, you know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So many um, films have basically ridden off the coattails of all those wonderful songs. Yeah, agree. Uh, they, they are, they are certainly. Did we realise in the seventies that ABBA was going to have such longevity? I suspect not. But gosh, aren't we glad that they have? Well done, ABBA. And I'm looking forward to seeing whatever happens on the second of of, of um, September. They've come a long way since Anna Frieda was singing in those coffee houses in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. Anyway, that was the podcast. We end on a cheery note for this week. Thank you to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and also to the wonderful Prince Wine Store. Get there for your Father's Day suggestions from Miles. Please connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And, and if you Cara, want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign-up button can on I, Facebook. Can I jump in, Caro, and just say our footy tipping competition concluded and um, I thought it was probably uh, a good time to just say that we had 130 people tipping along with you and I and Miss Jane, Jane Neal, our producer... Caro, give us a drum roll, or Jane, can you just get on your Charlie Watts drums for a minute? Number one, Deidre McDonald won our Don't Shoot the Messenger tipping competition. And uh, congratulations to you, Deidre. We'll work out some sort of prize to be confirmed what that's going to be. But um, well done 
to everybody who was in our footy tipping comp. Well done, Deirdre. Deirdre McDonough uh, winning, but can I just mention how we all did as well? Oh, please do. Oh, no, do you have to mention me? Seriously. We better just let potties know that in round 23, Corrie, you tipped eight again, as did you, Caro, and I actually tipped eight as well. Uh, but, Caro, you really came back strong in the last part of the season. You ended up in the number 13 spot. Corrie, you were in the wow. number 68 position, and I was down at 78, but so impressed with everyone who tipped along. Uh, top five, we might as well mention them, Lee Meadows, number five, Aaron Fenlon, number four, Jane Lubinus, number three, Grayson Parrott, number two, and as you mentioned, Deirdre and McDonough in the number one spot. I reckon Katrina Burke will be pretty cross that after leading or being in the top five all season, she dropped in that last week. Poor <laughs> Katrina. Don't give up, Katrina. Come back next year. We want you all to come back and tell your friends as well. Caro, considering I'm... you spend a bit of time in Amsterdam at the start of the season, that's a great effort coming 13th. Well, thank you, Corrie, and I'm happy to say that I continued my um, late-season good form over week one of the finals where I tipped four in the age, so very happy with that. Well done, Deirdre. Please get in touch with us. If you want to get our show notes, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or you can send us an email and we'll subscribe you. And that number is the email address, I should say, is feedback at don'tshootpod, all one word, dot com, dot au. And, Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestyle with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.